Welcome to Color Me Dead. This is a true crime podcast, and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor. If you don't like words like fuck and cunt, then you probably shouldn't listen. But if you do, then join us while we fuck your feelings. Welcome, people of that listen to this podcast. <laughs> podcast universe? Yeah. This is episode 129, Aaron Hernandez. But before we start, if you go to ageofradio.org, you guys can check out all of our current episodes, you can check out our bloopers, you can shop the bazaar, and should you decide to hit that Patreon button and make a donation, you can do a one-time donation, you can also do a monthly donation, everything from $1 to $75, Um, and if you guys are not interested in making a donation and getting some perks, you can go to colormedeadpod.threadless.com and shop for merch there. You sure can. You can also find us on social media on Facebook or Color Me Dead Podcast. We have the Color Me Dead Podcast group. We have Instagram, which is Color Me Dead Podcast. And Angel's personal one is a Color Me Dead Angel. And mine is Gory underscore Nikki. We also have Twitter. Let us know if you find us there. Just kidding. Yeah, what is, it? is it Color Me Dead Pod on Twitter? Yeah. Um, you can mail some shit to us if you want to. We got P.O. Box 1610, Vernal, Utah, 84078. That just reminded me of the uh, Mickey Mouse Club when they're like, Lake Buena Vista, Florida. And they would tell you the address that you could mail shit to or whatever it was. And I always wanted to mail something and I don't know why. Anyway, moving on. As a lot of you guys know... The NFL playoff just ended by the time this episode releases. Um, we found out that who will be playing in the Super Bowl, which doesn't matter because the Chiefs are going to win. Uh, you may also know that I'm a huge football fan, and so it should be no surprise to you that I chose Aaron Hernandez for this episode. Um, this all came about before all of the Aaron Hernandez stuff started popping up everywhere. Last year we were in Barnes and Noble and I had the book in my hand and then I decided not to buy it because we had like 15 other ones and I was like, no, I'll just wait a little bit. But lucky for me, a bunch of shit came out on Netflix um, about him and all kinds of other places. It's like it's all coming out from everywhere right now. So um, my timing just happened to hit right at the same time because I didn't know all of that was happening. And funny enough, as I was writing the episode, I got a notification that The Mind of Aaron Hernandez was now available on Netflix. I was like, oh, sweet, cool. (laughs) Nice. Um, I want to cite all my sources before we get started. I might cite more over the next few episodes. Um, There's Autopsy, The Last Hours of Aaron Hernandez was on Reels. Um, if you have reels, don't go on the internet and try to watch it there. It's not on there. You have to actually have cable to go watch that one. I don't, they don't have the season. It's like season eight. They don't have it on their thing. Cause I paid for a month's worth of reels and, and it wasn't there anyway. That was like, really? After all of that, not there. The main book that I've used so far was all American murder by James Patterson um, also, later in the up, later in the series, I'll be using "Unnecessary Roughness" inside the trial and final days of Aaron Hernandez by Jose Baez, which was part he's part of his legal team. There was also Aaron Hernandez killing fields on reels, and it came out like the day after the Netflix one did too. So it was like everything started coming out all at the same time. <clears throat> so. 
Considering that this is a fairly recent event, a lot of you have probably heard of it. If not, I feel like you live under a rock. It was all over the news when the former NFL star was found hanging in his prison cell on April 19th of 2017. He was only 27 years old when he took his own life. In the next few episodes, we'll cover his early life, his murders, and even discuss possible reasons that this young NFL tight end may have chosen the path that he did. Aaron Joseph Hernandez was born on November 6, 1989 in Bristol, Connecticut to Dennis Hernandez and Terry Valentine Hernandez. He was their second son. Dennis Jonathan Jr., who went by DJ, was three years older than Aaron. Dennis and Terry married in 1986 and then later divorced in 91. However, they did a turnaround and remarried in 96. That always works. Um, I've seen that be successful, <laughs> never. Yeah, right? I was trying to think of anybody that I've... Literally, knew. my brother-in-law remarried the woman that he divorced, and they're still married right now. Um, well, that's all I'm going to say about that. So, life in the Hernandez house... It was a cute little house on Greystone Avenue, but the cute house didn't correlate with the the life because it was less than desirable. Mm -hmm. The brothers shared a room and the house was very small, so everybody was kind of stacked on top of each other. But his parents were proud of the house and of their boys. The house had a finished basement that they had turned into a gym for the family to work out, like to work out in. There was also an in-ground pool and a basketball court out back, so it couldn't have been like... I mean, as a youngster, you kind of did have some perks. Right? You're like, I have to share a room with my brother. Motherfucker, you have a gym in your basement, a pull-out back, and a basketball court. And the house is cute as shit. So, Dennis and Terry had a very tumultuous marriage. They often fought. Terry threw her husband out on multiple occasions, but obviously always let him back in. So, the fighting was nonstop. They both had been arrested for multiple crimes. Now, keep in mind, this is not in the book. This is the Netflix documentary that actually mentioned. Um, DJ's book said that he knocked Terry out on the sink. Yeah, we'll get into a little bit of more of that later, but um, in the book, the All-American Murder book, they don't mention any of the abuse, any of um, any of anything that happened between them. Like, I got all of this from different sources, and then on the Netflix documentary, DJ's on there actually talking about a time that his dad got so drunk and mad at his mom that he smashed her face into a sink and knocked her out, and that he, like... The the mood of the family depended on the dad's amount of alcohol. You know, if he was in a bad mood, all hell was breaking loose. Well, DJ also stated that Aaron had been molested by an older child when he was six, and this carried on for quite a few years. And we're going to talk more about his sexuality in a bit in the episodes um, coming up that will cover, like, Maybe this is what stemmed some of his issues. They said in the Reels documentary that they did on him that uh, also an older woman had molested him. But I can't find that anywhere else. So we will see. We will see as I find more. Now, as we all know, being abused and molested as a child is not exactly the healthy building blocks that children need to have a fruitful life. The fact that he was raised with violence and crime also doesn't help. Dennis was a janitor and a no-bullshit kind of a parent. He was very hard on the boys. He often beat them and sometimes for no reason. Sometimes he thought because they weren't trying hard enough in their schoolwork or their sports that that warranted them getting their ass beat. Well, yeah. The boys had a very strange relationship with Dennis. They feared him, but they also completely respected him and 
like revered him. They idolized him. And Aaron was very close to Dennis. Dennis would wake his sons up at dawn to go work out. They did layups. They ran drills. They were up and down the hills around their house. And Dennis often told them, if you do anything great in life, it will come from within. And if it is to be, it is up to me. Very motivational. Oh, that was very motivational. Like, did your eyes roll as much as mine did? Because you're, like, drinking and beating the shit out of your wife and your kids at night. But then in the morning, you're fucking motivational. Yeah, right? You you pull a fucking Tony Robbins and you've got your kids outside jazzercising as you, like, say positive affirmations to mm-hmm. them. Like, you kind of negate that later when you're smashing their mom's face into a sink. Just a, just a touch. Like, are you also in the midst of beating the shit out of your woman, telling her, if it is to be, it is up to me. So what is to be is your face in that sink. So what we're going to do is some at-home dental. Fuck. Because that's kind of what that sounds like to me. Like, I just had a hard time hearing anything about how awesome his dad was after hearing all that other stuff. It's like, you know what? Was he trying to make up for what a shitty person he was at night? I don't know. During the day? Or did he want to be a good person? But keep that in mind for later. Keep Watch that and watch how Aaron is later, too. Monkey see, monkey do. Mm-hmm. So... Like we said before, the boys worshipped Dennis. Dennis was like Aaron. He played football. He played basketball. He ran track in high school in the 70s. And so did his twin brother, David. Dennis's nickname in high school was The King. And he held on to that for many years. You know what's kind of fucked up? I want... Sometimes I wonder about the nicknames we give people. Mm-hmm. And if that... Like, remember how when I got my, my dog, Rogue, mm-hmm. and I... He's a he's a purebred, right? He's papered, has like things. What says he's special? <laughs> what he's says you special? But he is special. Libya. <laughs> but his full name is Rocky Mountains American Rogue. Oh. And when I named him, the breeder was like, you know that your dog is what you name them. And I'm like, okay, Rogue. Yeah, I learned the hard way. Like that your that's dog true. is what you fucking name them. Pudge. Very fitting. It really is, isn't it? I never thought of that before. Like, fat guy? Very fitting. Rogue? Bastard. I will never make that mistake again. Never, never. So Unless I went... you want to keep your couches. Oh, or don't want off. to keep don't, your couches. Don't bring that shit up. <laughs> so I have, I have this, like, theory that people become what you call them, right? Right. Like, it... So... If people started calling him the king, and let's assume that they gave him that nickname and that he didn't, like, start that himself, hmm. I wonder if that, like, if that's what circumvented through his brain too many times to give him that fucking ego. That's a, that's a good point because, it, yeah, that's a good point. I'm stumbling over my fucking words. Because, yes. Yes, uh, that. Well, David and Dennis both got full scholarships to the University of Connecticut, but... Um, he had also gotten into quite a bit of trouble in his younger years. He was described as a wild kid with a chip on his shoulder. He drank and partied a lot with David and his friend slash teammate Rocco Testa. Uh, they got into fights, broke into strangers' houses, and stole a bunch of shit. Because of their bad choices, they ended up dropping out of college. Because why wouldn't you? If you get into a good college for sports and shit, let's, let's go steal some shit and, and drop out of college. Great. Good job. Good choices. Their buddy Rocco decided it was a good idea to go burglarize a house with his uncle. When the cops were called, the uncle shot the police officer four times, killing him. Rocco got immunity 
uh, for the murder for testifying against his uncle. And you think that like that happening would have scared David and Dennis into being good. Like, all right, no more. We shouldn't do this anymore. But it didn't. They say parenthood is finally what it did the trick. And this is coming from the book. And I don't. Yeah. You know how I feel about how the book portrayed Dennis. Well, David ended up becoming a corrections officer. And Dennis, a janitor. The king is a janitor. And I'm not talking shit about janitors, but the king is a janitor. That's all I'm going to say. Dennis's wife, Terry, was an administrative assistant at a local elementary school. They saved up their money and bought that cute little house that we mentioned before, but money would always be an issue for them, though, because he's a, he's a janitor at a school, and she's an administrative assistant at a school. Like, that's just not a lot of I don't know what kind bucks. of money they make. Like, I don't know if... Um, I would have to ask somebody. Right. I'd I have was... to ask somebody. Like, I don't know. Like, some people who work within the school district, like they do that forever, whether yeah. it's a teacher, whether it's administration or a custodian or whatever, like, or lunch ladies, like they do that shit. Like stop and think about the one lunch lady with the fucked off eyebrows that were like way, way high. Mm-hmm. She legit was a lunch lady clear up until like my daughter was a sophomore. Right. And I know that they get paid decent, but they have good hours. They have good benefits. Um, like for, for Dennis, I bet it was it was stability because he was a also a coach. He coached a lot of sports. Well, and I bet him. that worked out really well with like the schedule with mm-hmm. his kids because you get the summers off. Yeah, and so he could do all that extra extra shit. So I don't know. I really I, I don't, don't know. know. They just said that money was always pretty tight with them. Um, they made sure that their boys had what they needed to be comfortable. However, they couldn't afford the designer clothes that all the other kids were wearing. Uh, Terry thought her boys were suffering because of this, and so she made some pretty bad decisions to try to make up for it. In 2001, when Aaron was 12, his mom was arrested at their house. She had gotten involved in a bookkeeping operation run by a local restaurant manager. His name was Marty Hovenesian. His name was Robert Paulson. Yes. Sorry. She was not the brains of the operation, but was still involved. Involved enough to be convicted of felony racketeering and professional gambling. DJ later told Sports Illustrated that she didn't do this for the thrills. She did it to provide for her boys. Because he kept saying that he was at home at night crying because people were making fun of him because he didn't have the designer clothes and shit and this is why she did it. Which I don't completely buy. Teach your kids that <clears throat> clothes aren't everything, and those other kids are assholes if they're making fun of you. Like that doesn't alleviate the problem, though. Like and it I, doesn't, I, but neither does this. No, like you, you certainly like go buy that shit secondhand, right? Take I know. your ass to TJ Maxx. They, like I know I they had TJ Maxx because that's where I got my first pair of Jabos for twelve dollars, and they were orange, but they were Jabos. Right. <laughs> they were horrifying, but but I had them. Yep. Terry never went to trial about it, but the word got out. Aaron and DJ were teased about it a lot. DJ was quick to forgive the other people, but Aaron was a completely different story. He was like, he was like the dude on, um, now I already forgot what movie it is, the one with Adam Sandler with the lipstick list. 
He was that guy. That was Aaron. He's like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I, I know who you are. Wasn't that Billy Madison? Yes. I was like, why can't I remember which movie? I wanted to say Happy Gilmore, and then that was the only one that stuck in my head after that, even though I knew it wasn't that. His relationship with his mom grew strained after her decisions to do that, and it only grew worse over time. Because he's like, we're already getting made fun of. Then you go and do this shit, and you say it's to get our designer clothes, but now you just got us made fun of even more. Right. So he's not very happy about it. Like, you kind of just paid, like, you robbed Peter to pay Paul, and you fucked us over in the end. Mm-hmm. That's not fun. No. DJ ended up playing football at UConn as the quarterback and wide receiver for the Huskies, which made Dennis extremely happy. But some other unfortunate events took place around the same time. David had been diagnosed with cancer, and it wasn't looking good for him. Terry also started to have an affair. Here's, here's oh, like, God. plot twist. She didn't just have an affair. She decided to have an affair with a family member. She was banging a married man by the name of Jeffrey Cummings. Yes, he was. Mm-hmm. He was married to Dennis's sister, Ruth's daughter, Tanya. Did you get all that? So basically, his niece's husband was fucking his wife. You can't even trust people at fucking family reunion. God nope. damn. Nope. We're having family dinner. Nobody's safe. Nope. Nope. Fuck. Nobody. Take your eyes off my wife and put them on your plate. <laughs> so, what did I tell you about flirting with people at family functions? I know you're not blood related, Terry. That doesn't can't. mean you greet him beaver first. You can't fuck your nephew. That just reminded me of Trailer Trash Tammy. Did you tell my boss she was going to suck him dry? Did you tell my brother you were going to give him a reach around at my granddad's funeral? (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Well, the Hernandezes were a very tight family, so they had to be extra careful. (laughs) One needs to be careful, period. But when you're fucking within the family confines... That's a tight-knit family. Right. You done fucked up, Terry. Which they they were until September of 2005. They were at a UConn football game watching DJ when Tanya walked up to Terry and slapped her. And this is when the secret unfolds. Now, I love this kind of shit. Like, I love watching this. I don't ever want to be a part of it. And I never would be because I'm not going to bang anybody's husband, dude. But. Especially not your nieces. I extra husband. super love when this shit unfolds and I happen to be there. Oh, I know. What I wouldn't give to be at that game. Sitting right there. Like, do I watch the game? Do I watch... I'm going to watch this. I have seen some shit in my day, but that's the kind of stuff that I like. I live for that, where I just, like, get to watch from afar. That's how the across the street was for a while. We just go sit in the carport and watch that shit happen. I remember. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously this was bad for Aaron's already strained relationship with his mother, but things only got worse after this. In January of 2006, Dennis went in for hernia repair. He ended up contracting a fatal bacterial infection. His death was obviously devastating for Aaron and impossible for him to process. When people were told that Dennis died, they would get confused thinking it was David because he already had cancer. And when people say cancer, you already kind of expect them to die. Unless they're like, ah, yeah, it's a little skin cancer on my elbow. You're like, oh, fuck, it'd be fine. But when people are like, I'm being treated for cancer, they're like, oh. Well, and I guess when the news was being you know, told uh, told to everyone, they were like, Coach Hernandez died, and they would all think that it was Coach 
David Hernandez. Right. And then they'd be like, oh, no, it was Dennis because there was nothing wrong with him. He just was literally getting a, a hernia repaired. It was supposed That's to be like a happens, quit. Dude. And then he was out and I never want surgery again. So, it you know. Happens. The funeral was massive. People said that they waited over an hour just to get into the services. The king was well-respected in his community. He and David had coached many youth sports teams. The Hernandez family was known for being good people. Some said they would give you the shirt off their backs. So this was a huge shock to the entire community. I wonder how many of that community knew what happened at their house at night. Probably none. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot that happens behind closed doors that that, people have no idea no i mean stop and look at i mean there there's a i have a million Mm -hmm. examples yeah dj and aaron were two totally different people at the funeral home dj was sobbing over the coffin while aaron who was 16 at at the time was just kind of lost like he cried a little bit here and there but he had put up a wall and realistically People grieve in different different ways. Like, I think that I have actually cried, like legitimately cried one time since my dad has died. And it's because I won't let myself and I don't know why. Yeah, everybody does handle it differently. Like, normally in normal life situations, I don't cry over hardly anything. But when people die, I don't stop crying. It's, I don't know why. I, st- I don't think I, I still haven't like really processed and let myself be fucking sad yet. Because I just haven't like... I'm the one that you're like, can you stop crying? God. What are you crying for? Yeah. <laughs> um, the night after the funeral, Aaron had scored 30 points in his basketball game and 31 points the night after. The game after the funeral was very emotional. He had dunked the ball and the crowd went wild. Aaron was going to Bristol Central High School and played for their football team, the Rams. He started as a wide receiver and then started playing tight end. He even played defensive end at times. His senior year, he was Connecticut's Gatorade Football Player of the Year. He had 67 receptions, 1,807 yards, 24 touchdowns. On defense, he had 72 tackles, 12 sacks, 3 forced fumbles, and 2 fumble recoveries, and 4 block kicks. Even if you're not into sports, you have to know that that's a fucking lot. There's not a lot of kids that play offense and defense. Like, only the really good football players. And then to have stats like that in one season, playing both offense and defense, that's pretty kick-ass. He was the captain of the team for a good reason. He wasn't just good at football, though. He ran track and was the best player on the basketball team. He was also the pitcher for the baseball team. Because why not? Let's why just... Why wouldn't you be? Oh, look, it's the Hernandez boy again. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> As a senior in high school, he was already six foot one and 245 pounds. He was by far the best athlete the school had ever produced. The Rams were a great team back in, like, starting back in 2001 when DJ played for them. But they got even better when Aaron was there with them. Also, his face. He wasn't just big. He, his face looked like a grown, he looked like a grown ass man. Like when he was in high school, I've been watching videos of him. And when he was in high school, he looks older than a lot more 20 something year old dudes that I know. I almost went all sports nerd in here, but I decided not to. So we're just going to go with that. He was an amazing athlete. In All-American Murder, his coaches were talking about how it was impossible to make plays to stop him. And his coaches talked about how they started making plays just for him because he was so good that all the plays, like, kind of went around him. 
During his high school career, he was said to be very mature when handling his losses. He didn't throw fits or act disappointed when they lost. However, by this time, he had sustained a few head injuries, and that may play a part in his behavior later. The one that I can find information on, and I'm trying to find more about this, but there was one that I, that he got hit so hard that he had to be carted off by the ambulance that knocked him out. He had to be pulled off by an ambulance, and he was young. He was a very young senior. He was like um, Calvin, where he's, you know, young, young, young for his grade. So... He started getting head injuries when he was 15, 14, 15, 16, you know. And so I think this one was around when he was 15 or 16. But that's that's a lot to – that's a big injury. And then for him to continue to get injured in his, in his brain, not good. There will be plenty more on this later. Aaron was ranked as the nation's number one tight end by two different ranking services. He had a verbal agreement with UConn, which was University of Connecticut – and told his fans and reporters that he was excited to play with DJ again. However, he uh, had also had scouts from powerhouse teams like the Florida Gators showing up to his games. However, he had started to rebel. He was angry. He was mad at his mom for the affair, and he was heartbroken from the loss of his father. And unfortunately for him, it was just him and his mom at home because DJ was gone to school, his dad was dead, hated his fucking mother, um, and that's who he lived with. That caused the anger and the rebellion to escalate. Dennis was Aaron's best friend. He felt like he had nobody to talk to anymore, and he just felt lost all the way around. They they really talked about how Dennis was the one person that he talked to that was, like, literally his best friend. So, now he's gone. Yep. He doesn't know what to do. And he's 16. And I, his mom's <clears throat> fucking his cousin's husband. I know them feelings. Yeah. Not, not his similar i know the feelings of like not having that person like that you're used to having Mm -hmm. um he started hanging out with the wrong crew on the wrong side of town at a house owned by tito valderrama aka uncle tito why not everybody's uncle something um so but no when i see like when i hear or like when i read uncle tito you know what that reminds me of tito from oliver and company and cheech marin plays the voice of the little fucking chihuahua tito Oh, yeah. That's all I can fucking say. Uncle Tito. And he's in love with that big fucking French poodle. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. All I thought of was Tito Ortiz. (laughs) So that's what he looks like in my head when we talk about Uncle Tito. But it's not him. Just so you know. He had married Aaron's Aunt Ruth, Dennis's sister. He started bonding with his cousin Tanya. Remember Tanya? Mm Mm-hmm. Remember? Well, that's the one that slapped Aaron's mom at the Yukon game for sleeping with her husband. Tanya was now involved with a dude named Thaddeus. They called him T.L., last name Singleton, who had just, um, all right, you know what? There's no nice way to say it. He's a fucking drug dealer. Mm Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. He's an entrepreneur. Yes. He is a a, businessman. He is a, uh, what would you call that? They used to call him street pharmacist, but... Oh, yeah. But now I, I, I feel like maybe it's... A, he's a do-it-yourselfer. He's the he's the HDTV of pharmacy techs. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. That. Dr. Feelgood. Sing it. He's the one they call Dr. Dr. Feelgood. He's gonna make you feel all right. right. Um, along with them... 
He had made friends with a couple of guys by the name of Carlos Ortiz, a.k.a. Charlie Boy, and Ernest Wallace, a.k.a. Bo. Ernest Wallace was well-known by the narcotics officers in Bristol. They also believed him to be involved with the street gang, the Bloods. Mm-hmm. Aaron kept his exterior cool in public, but his friends and his coaches were very worried about him. Like we mentioned before, Aaron had made a verbal agreement with the Huskies coach, Randy Edsall, when he was a sophomore in high school. Uh, the fall of his senior year, he had all kinds of colleges that were looking at him. Boston, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, Miami, like the Florida Gators. Now, when you have those kinds of prospects, mm-hmm. all fucking eyes are on you. And that's got to make your head just explode because you've already made a contract when you're a sophomore in high school you're mm-hmm. like yep i'm coming to your school that's where i'm going and now all these other people are coming out of the woodwork you're like uh, did you ever watch the movie johnny be good no with uh uma thurman uh holy fuck iron man help me robert downey jr i was a kiddo part of it and uh michael Fuck, I can't remember the kid's name. Anyway, he was the dweeb in uh, Breakfast Club. Uh, He's like a star football player, and he's got all these colleges that are, like, scouting him. Anyway, go watch it. Old 80s flick. It's one of my favorites. But that's kind of like this, where, like, everybody is watching him. Everybody's vying for his attention. Everybody wants a little piece of him. Well, he was firm with his choice about going to UConn, stating that he was going to play where his brother excuse me, stating that he was going to play with his brother there. He said that UConn was like the was like a family to him and that they were there for him when his dad died. But things change. Just a little bit. The Florida Gators coach, Urban Mayer, fun fact, he used to coach the uh, Utah team, and we'll talk about that more in a minute, but he had... He had been told about Aaron, and he was convinced that, like, this is my dude. I am recruiting this kid. I don't care what it takes. If I have to sacrifice a virgin, rub pennies together, I'm getting this kid. Well, sort of. After a while, like, they weren't, he wasn't convinced. He saw videos of him at first, and he's like, yeah, what? Yeah, what? And he was kind of pushing him off, and then he got to that point where he was like, all right, let's get him. He's like, I love that he's like, meh, I could take it or leave it. He was more interested in... And Tim Tebow than he was Aaron Hernandez. So the Gators flew him down for a meeting. Aaron initially told DJ that he was only going there for vacation. Well, Hmm. when he got to Gainesville, guess who was there to show him around the campus? Their quarterback, Tim Tebow. Yeah. You, you You have to love a fucking wholesome, Wonder Bread sandwich eating kind of guy. I still love watching his interviews, watching seven, the Netflix one where he's talking. I'm like, you can talk to me all day long. He's just wholesome. He really is. And I wanted to hate him for so long because I am not a Broncos fan. But, but then I was you, like, you just, you're so cute. Oh, you're just so, you're so sweet and innocent. You're just so wholesome. He is, though. He he's is. like He's like the Mr. Rogers of fucking football. He really is. And he, sort of. A little, little more. Anyway, the point being, good guy. Um, so Tim Tebow, now, even if you aren't a football fan, you probably know who Tebow is, or at least you know what Tebowing is. And if you don't, 2010 to 2012 was very boring for you. Um, I think we should have a Tebowing challenge. So we're calling all, all Tebowers right now. Fuck it. Post it to our Facebook group. Tebowing. Let's do it. Tebow. Mm -hmm. Tebow's back. Yes, he is. Taking it back. Back again. (laughs) Tebow's back. (laughs) Tell a friend. (laughs) Take your knee and pray to the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes. Amen. Amen. 
He made his decision while he was down there, and he even said it on a video that was posted by GatorCountry.com. He's on there, looking at a camera. What's he say? I'm going to be a Gator, and this is what I want. They can compete for a national championship, and that's what I want to be in. He's right. I don't think UConn was anywhere that was going to win a championship. No, but you shouldn't have said that you were just going there for vacation and then make a video announcing that you're going to be a Gator. Because people... Okay, so your family might take that kind of hard. Like, why wouldn't you discuss that or at least tell them first before you announce it to everybody else? Right. Well, that's kind of like that's kind of like getting pregnant and then doing like a gender reveal before you tell your spouse you're pregnant, and they're like, "Wait a minute, what the fuck Hold just up. happened? Hold, Hold up. up! Hold up! Wait a minute." Well, and the thing with that is, again, it shows how impressionable he is, and you'll see that you'll see that pattern throughout. All of this. He said it was a hard decision because he was so close to the UConn coaches and players, but he wanted to be the best. The opportunity came with playing the Gators, not the Huskies. He was right there. DJ tried to change his mind, but it didn't work. Aaron wanted um, the chance at a championship, and he wanted to get the fuck away from his mother. Your mother. She was spiraling and making bad decisions. The family, like the Hernandez family, didn't even want to be around her anymore because of what she was doing, and neither did her son. Aaron graduated a semester early in December of 2016 with honors and headed to Florida. He had just barely turned 17, okay, just months before he went to Florida. Um, So now he's a 17-year-old on his own in a different state. Just think about that for a moment. According to Urban Meyer, he was still very affected by his father's death. It had only been a year and it was still very fresh and he clearly wasn't dealing with it in a healthy way. Urban said that he tried to quit at least a dozen times. Urban counseled him through that. Um, Urban's wife was a psychiatric nurse and she met with Aaron and Urban would talk to his brother DJ every other week just to, so they could all stay on the same page to try to keep him on the straight and narrow, basically. Urban said he thought Aaron was trying to grab a hold of something and he wanted to make sure he grabbed onto the right thing. Because, in my opinion, he just felt really lost and he was trying to find his place. He wanted that family. He wanted those people. Urban said Aaron would pull himself together and then have visions of his dad and fall apart and try to quit and go home. He would go into Urban's office and break down and sob and cry about his dad. He never showed any of his pain outside of Urban's office, though. Even though he was only 17 um, and quite a bit younger than the other guys, he fit right in with them. He was outgoing um, and kind of a class clown. He made friends with a guy named Marky Anderson. Marky said that the first time he met Aaron, he was wearing a pink t-shirt that went to his knees, blue gym shorts, and bedroom shoes. So that gives you a little bit of an insight to what he was like around everybody else. Aaron would often go home to Fort Myers with uh, Marky. He said that Aaron acted like he already knew his family. He hugged everyone. He called his mom, mom, his grandma, grandma, and so on. They all loved him. Like From the first time he walked in, it was like... He knew everybody. You know, we all know somebody like that. I am not that person. I'm the person that's going to walk in and be like, hi, hi, and then awkwardly go sit in the corner and wait for it to be over. He's like, hi, mom. Hi, grandma. Hi, you know, we know everybody. You know what? That can go so badly, though. Like some people, 
don't, I don't know. I've seen people like walk into a place and be like, hi, grandma, hi, me, me, me. And they're just like, who the fuck are you? Why the fuck you call me grandma? Right. Well, a few months after Aaron got to Florida, he was already getting into trouble, which what? is easy to do. It's fucking Florida. <laughs> Florida man. He is now that Florida he man. He is the Florida man. Let's, <laughs> let, dude, let's just be, let's be honest. It's very easy to get into trouble in certain places. That's like going to Vegas and, you know, like you are, you are predestined to go out and fuck up in New Orleans, in Florida, in, and all of Florida. It doesn't matter where you go. Vegas, LA, Hollywood, stay the fuck out of Venice Beach, Mm -hmm. St. George, Utah. You're going to go get in trouble? Is that what you're telling me? About to fuck some shit up? Yeesh. (laughs) Well, towards the end of April, he went to a popular bar called The Swamp and was drinking lemonade with Mr. Tebow and Sean Young, who was a tennis player. This bar was somewhat... This bar was somewhere the football players um, went to be seen and be admired. Um, Even though Aaron was still a freshman and hadn't played a game as a Gator, he still had a lot of admirers. A waitress showed up at their table with some shots that somebody had sent over. The waitress did not ID them because the owner of the bar said that he looked like a 30-year-old man. Mm-hmm. Also, if you were a gator, you could do no wrong. So underage drinking, right under the rug. Like, what? Yeah, Good. we ID'd him. He could. It, no, they're gators. Look at him. Look, look at him. He looks like he's 30. He's a gator. Shh. Yeah. He plays. Did I mention he plays for the football team? Um, I... <laughs> money's no good here son (laughs) yeah exactly so aaron wasn't much of a drinker and he didn't like alcohol that would he didn't like the alcohol that had been sent over so he poured it in his lemonade he was more of a pot smoker and we'll get into that a little bit more and you know dive into that however (laughs) all of the pot all the smart poking well about an hour later it's about one o'clock in the morning he is walking out to leave the bar when the manager chases him down with a bill for $12 asking if he was going to pay it. And he was getting in Aaron's face about it. A woman offered to pay for it and so did Tebow and the manager waved them off. The owner said that <clears throat> said that Aaron said, I don't pay for anything in this town. And I don't really know if that was accurate or not. Yeah. I don't, I am uncertain. Well, and before you finish this story, like if um, there's a different version of this story out there too. So this is what was in the all American murder book. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a version that says that he ordered the drinks and then walked out and said, I don't pay for stuff in this town. And then Tim Tebow paid for the drinks and, and then all the shit that you're going to talk about happened. Um, so I don't know which it is. I'm going with this version, but we'll, I don't know. It, oh, yeah. I wasn't there. We need somebody called Tebow. Tebow, I would he, like to know what happened because we know that you were on the straight and narrow and you weren't you were drinking there. alcohol. We know that you were of, under sound, sound mind, of sound mind. Under sound mind. Under, what? I was, yeah, thinking, right. I was thinking so fast that I couldn't say the words. All of the witnesses said that when he walked out of the bar, the manager was hot on his ass and it was still getting in, it, like, still getting in his face. Aaron finally loses his temper and punches the manager, and then takes off running so fast, motherfucker left the shoe behind. Mm -hmm. Like, the clock struck one, Cinderella left the ball, left the shoe, but before he exited, he cracks a manager in the face. Well, 
The manager tried to run after, even though the blow had exploded his eardrum. Left ear doesn't exist Ouch. now. Do you know how bad that hurts to have an eardrum perforated? No, but it's God it sucks. Damn. That makes that being me... said, don't plug your nose when you sneeze. <laughs> no. Um. So he, the manager cops a blow that perforates his fucking eardrum and he's like running after him yelling for Aaron to come back the cops were called and when they got there the manager had Aaron's shoe he's like this was the man find him it's literal Cinderella find him I know oh god he even said um even though Aaron hadn't played a game yet he knew that the freshman was a tight end he was like it's that freshman tight end that the Gators just picked up and this shoe See, go find him. He's got the other shoe. Fucking. Dude. Okay, Sergeant Rowe was the officer that had answered that call. He called Tim Tebow and told him that it would be in Aaron's best interest if he came and gave his side of the story and told him, um, like, what had happened so that his name would stay out of the press. Yeah, he's like, Tebow, you just cooperate and we'll right. keep your name out of the press because we know that you're a God-fearing man. We know that you... You're walking John on the 316. straight narrow. I don't even know what that scripture is. Oh, you is, will. Is oh, I know. I'm. You one will point. in a moment. Perfect. I love it. I love it. Um, but he was, you know, he's like, get Aaron down here, give his side of the story. You know, we'll try to keep you out of the press. Well, Aaron called Roe back at 3 a.m. Roe meets up with him and read him his Miranda rights, but Aaron chose to tell his side. He said that he thought the drinks the woman brought were paid for and that he didn't know that the lady that brought them was a waitress and since he hadn't ordered the drinks he was like i shouldn't have to pay for shit i didn't order right because under from from what i can tell what he understood was that the lady said here's some drinks that were sent over to you right but that's the thing is like if if they come by like okay if you're in a bar and they come by with shots and they're like shots and you pick something up off the tray, then yeah, you're responsible for what you pick up. But when somebody comes over and they're like, this round was sent to your table. Listen, I didn't ask for that shit. When you send shit to my table, I am of the opinion and under the assumption that that is somewhere paid for elsewhere. Right. And so he probably thought that, you know, yeah, the, the yeah. Just like that, what you're saying. He probably thought the lady coming around saying, do you want some shots? Was like just handing out the shots. Because he's 17. How many times has he been to a bar? Really? But still, the manager, $12. Come the fuck on, bro. Get your shit together. You got your ear fucked up for 12 bucks. Yeah. Is it worth it? Yeah. I hope you have medical insurance because that shit just, because you know that he doesn't. But maybe the gators paid for it. I don't know. I didn't. Aaron told the cops that he punched the manager to get him out of his face. Rose said that Aaron was polite and professional and seemed to be sober. Mm-hmm. He chose not to charge him with underage drinking, but he could be charged with a felony battery charge. Urban Meyer was informed of the incident as well. The manager... Sorry. The manager was the one that had to decide if he was going to press charges for the battery charge, assault and battery charge, which he ended up not doing. Mm, I wonder why. Dun, dun, dun. Aaron was supposed to go back and apologize as part of the deal that they all came up with, but he never did. The only time he ever went back was when he was seen driving by making shooting gestures with his hands. 
that's good. Yeah. The owner of the swamp called the school <laughs> after he did that. And they were like, you need to get this kid under wraps. He's threatening us. He's just drove by and did finger guns at us. <laughs> Could you imagine getting that call and be like, are he you shot me with finger pistols? <laughs> he's he's going by and go pew, 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 pew. That son of a bitch did a drive by finger pistol. <laughs> you need to get him under wraps. It was wraps. semi-automatic finger gun. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. I don't think he has a license for that. Oh my God. You need to get him under wraps. But the school was like, we have more shit to deal with than his finger Imagine. Could you? Could you Could imagine? You? Just how fucking funny that would be. Like, he came by and did chopping <laughs> X motions towards me be like a seminole. <laughs> oh my god. He pretended like he was gonna scalp me. Uh-huh. You should do something. And I chomped right back at him. I did the gator chomp. I did the gator chomp. <laughs> and then finger guns, and that's where we draw the line. I just can't with the finger guns. <laughs> Is there a problem with my boys? No. Wainers on the glass of the Alana Club? <laughs> See, this, the, it reminds me so much of Varsity Blues. It's because, because it they is. sweep so much. Like, oh you can God. do no wrong, boys. But they had, okay, the school had bigger fish to fry. And the bigger fish that they were had to fry was Aaron's teammate, Ronnie Wilson. He apparently got in a fight with Frank Fuller, whoever he is. Wilson spat on Fuller, slapped him, oh, punched no, him, don't. walked out of the club, and Fuller followed him and called 911. He's like, motherfucker, you're not going to slap and spit and punch at me. You don't spit. And so he calls 911, starts following him. This is when Wilson pulls over, goes to the trunk of his car, pulls out an AK-47. Like you fucking do. Right. Because and don't you have an AK in your trunk? It doesn't ever... Don't look, the, those come standard in cars, don't they? Well, I put an AR in mine. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can switch it up. Duh. You can modify that shit. Duh. But he pointed it at Fuller. Fuller's still on the phone with 911 at the time. And he's like, he's pointing the gun at me. And they're like, get the fuck out of there. And then. it's not a finger gun. It's not a finger gun. And so... So then Wilson pulls the gun and shoots it into the sky. And so that's what they were dealing with. Um, so whether dealing with that or the punch to the bar manager and the little finger guns, they chose the bigger, the AK-47 right, to deal like, with. We have people with legitimate fucking assault <laughs> rifles making threats. But let me tell you what they did to, to AK-47, boy. Oh, please. He got two years of probation mm -hmm. and a hundred years of community service. Hundred years. Hundred years. Hundred years. It was rough. A hundred years of community service. A <laughs> hundred hours of community service. Hundred years. Me and you, Rick and Morty, all the adventures. Hundred years. <laughs> hundred. <laughs> and but then, as soon as he finished his hundred years of community service which really only took him a hundred hours to do okay he was let back on the football team of course he was why wouldn't he be because you can just go shoot at people with your ak-47 and now you're back on the team go clean Perfect. up some trash for a hundred years and you can come back <laughs> the reason that i tell this story it's relevant to show how lenient uh urban meyer was he was always giving too many second chances when he coached in utah for the utes 
here. Uh, there was a guy named Marty Johnson who went drunk driving and did a hit and run. This was his second DUI. He went to jail, but Meyer and his wife, whose specialty was addiction, supported him, visited him in jail, and he ended up straightening out with the help of the Meyer family and played in the Fiesta Bowl and turned his life around. So, good for them. However, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. In, in a minute. In 2007, it was Aaron's first year on the team. They got a record that wasn't one to brag about due to Urban Meyer. They got the NCAA record for most players arrested in a single year. This is not what Aaron needed for his track record. This is not what he needed to be around. It's like, get arrested, you're fine. Do whatever you want. We'll cover it up. We'll sweep it under the rug. You're a celebrity. You're a gator. You do what you want. I feel like that's what he was being taught. And he's so young and so impressionable, but this is where we're at. But back to Aaron. Tim Tebow was assigned to keep an eye on him. Tim and Aaron were complete opposites. Tim was the youngest of five kids and came from a very religious family. He was even a virgin. And he spoke about how he was saving himself for his wife. He made that very open and very apparent through his teensy little career that he was saving himself for his wife. It's very noble. No, I would rather get laid, and I want to try that shit out before I, I marry it. I personally believe in... Let me see what kind of dick that is before I get stuck with it forever. Fuck, dude. That's what you I know, believe in. I... <laughs> You don't order a fucking 200, like, I don't, I have all these, like, different analogies that just went through my head, and I tried to say three at the same time, and it didn't It didn't work out. Even the online car buying place gives you a seven-day return, you know, (laughs) you can try that shit out for seven days, and if you don't like it, you can send it back. Like, that's... I'm just saying, like, you wouldn't belly up to the fucking deli and be like, give me uh, $200 of that fucking aged cheddar without trying it. No. You really wouldn't. Roll it around. See how it tastes. See how it feels. <laughs> see if you need to smoke afterwards, even if you don't smoke. If you do, then it's good. Then it's great cheese. Buy yep. the fucking cheese. <laughs> Get it. Get it. I do love cheese. Yeah, I love that. So he sang hymns on the sidelines and prayed for victories. This is where he became famous for the whole T-bowing thing that came into play. He used to write Bible verses in his eye black, and the NCAA banned it, And the rule is now known as the Tebow rule. By all means, beat your girlfriend, get in a fight, get DUIs. But for the love of Jesus, no scripture verses in your black eye. Isn't that such bullshit? Like, you're going to be a total fucking piece of shit human off the field. I know don't put any scriptures in your eye black. Listen, I know that you have um, seven rape accusations. You're a convicted felon. You murdered I don't know how many fucking dogs. Um, this guy has beat the shit out of his wife. It's on camera. But listen, I'm going to need you to not put those scripture verses right here. Yeah. Because then you'll be in big trouble. Well, Tebow was very versatile. He could throw the ball and wasn't afraid to run it, too. And he was such an amazing player that he was known as the chosen one. He's fucking Harry Potter of football. He really is. Urban had Aaron and Tim living next door to each other, and when they traveled, they roomed together. Tebow was full of heart and drive, and Urban was more hoping that Aaron would grasp onto that and kind of follow him. Like, lead by example, follow this mm-hmm. guy. In high in a high school game, 
Tim broke his leg and still finished the game. He even scored a touchdown with the broken leg. That's just to show his drive. Like, they said that he felt the bone. It was all fucked up. And he's like, no, put me back in. I can play. I can play. And they won. Put me in, coach. And then he runs a touchdown himself as a quarterback. No. That's the kind of drive that Tim Tebow had. And that's what they wanted Aaron to kind of follow. Because he was on and off the field. Good human. No. Nope. No. no, you don't run on broken broken bones. No, I'm surprised he could still function after that. That's got, I can't. With the the power of Christ compelled him. Uh, clearly had to have. Jesus took that wheel <laughs> for sure. Aaron scored his first touchdown as a college player in October of 2007. Tebow was rubbing off on him. Aaron used to text the coach, "While you're sleeping, I'm working out. We got to win a national championship." Um, when he was with Tebow and the Gators, he was doing really well. When he went back for home visits, he started making those poor choices again. The other players noticed and didn't want him to go home. Even DJ thought it was better if he didn't come home for those visits because of what he went through and who he hung out with. Like, it's best if you just don't. Like, stay the fuck out of Connecticut. Yeah, because you're going to go hang out with those bad kids. One of Aaron's teammates, Ahmad Black, um, who had a short career with Tampa Bay Buccaneers, talked about how much everybody loved him. Well, they nicknamed him Chico, and he said everybody loved Chico. He remembers how Aaron would walk up to him and say something that made no sense at all, like, if the hamburger eats the ketchup and climbs the tree, who's going to come to the ocean? I feel like he would be my best friend, and I hate that because his face pisses me off. Lots of people say, Aaron Hernandez is so hot. I don't fucking think so. His face irritates the fuck out of me. I think he's a good looking... I think he was a good looking man. From the neck down, fuck yeah, but that face pisses me off. I don't know. He he vaguely reminds me of somebody. I I don't know who, but he vaguely reminds me of somebody. The team talked about how he had always been the life of the party. Aaron liked to be the center of attention, but he was also very impressionable and eager to please. He was who he needed to be when he needed to be that person he was he was a chameleon how many times have we talked about chameleons on these he was if he was with us he would have been a podcaster you know what i mean if he was with somebody else he would have been what they are he was who the people he was hanging out with were at the time and he did it well bouncing back To September of 2007, the team had lost a game to Auburn, and Aaron was looking to blow off some steam after the game. He went to a club called Venue. This was no place for him to be. No, no, (laughs) no, no, no. A former Gator safety by the name of Reggie Nielsen was there. He was drafted by the Jacksonville Jags, and he most recently played for the Raiders. Sorry, I'm trying not to, like, sportsify this completely, but I can't not. So it's going to happen. I can't not. I can't not. But he was in the VIP booth. Chris Harris from the Chicago Bears was there with him. Mike and Marquise Pouncey were there, um, among many other players. And the Pouncey twins played for the Gators, too. A man named Justin Glass was there with his two friends, Randall Kaysen and Corey Smith, who went by Squirt. So when we're talking about Corey Smith from here on out, I called him Squirt. Squirt had two kids, a car, and a job, and on one of the documentaries I watched, they were interviewing his mom, and she said he was going to um, some sort of electrician school. I don't know if he was apprenticing or what, but he was going on to be a a good person. Um, How do you know electricians are good people? 
Maybe they're assholes. Maybe they're really bad people. Maybe. Maybe he was a good person and he was going to be an electrician because he wanted to be more of an asshole. <laughs> I don't know. But he was going to have a good job. How about that? He was going to further his money, income, you know, thing. Okay. But Randall Kaysen was the exact opposite. It was said by the police that Randall and Justin went to the club looking for trouble. And here's okay. Squirt with them like he doesn't, you know. I don't, he couldn't have been that innocent if he was hanging out with them, but maybe he didn't really know what they were going to do. Apparently the week before, Randall's brother got into it with a bunch of the football players. He'd been going around snatching those big gold chains off of people. Uh-oh. <laughs> and don't fucking touch shit don't belong to you. No. And so that night at the club, Randall supposedly snatched one of the one of the chains off the Pouncy twins. Oh fuck. And the fight was on. And they were trying to. From from what everybody says, that that's what they were looking for. They wanted the fight with the with the football players. Could you fucking not with that shit? Right. Aaron and Reggie both knew about the fight and knew what was going on. And of course Aaron was like, Well, let me in, you know, like I'll fix this shit. The Pouncy twins told Randall that they wanted the chain back. Randall said, what chain? It was obviously pretty heated because they were escorted out by security. They're like, all y'all get the fuck out. The fight just escalated in the parking lot, though. Reggie tried to defuse the situation because he knew Randall. Like, they had socially seen each other out and about. They, you know, they kind of knew each other. So he was like, no, these the players don't want any problems. We don't, we don't want to do anything here. Just chill the fuck out. Randall and Reggie ended up shaking hands and hugging, and Randall, Squirt, and Justin Glass drove away. But did it end there? No! No! Because why the fuck would it? The players... Followed them. The clubs had all closed by now, but traffic was super thick. Uh, Justin was driving Squirt's car. He had a stolen 9mm under a black t-shirt, like, sitting in the on the floor of the passenger seat, I believe. The gun was stolen from the Jacksonville Sheriff's Department. That is awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Randall more was, of that. yeah, do please. some more of that, please. Please, Randall was in the back seat with a forty cal Smith and Wesson, and it had the serial number filed off, so it was also <laughs> a shady fucking Sorry. gun. Uh, Squirt was the only one that was unarmed. The traffic was all stopped at a red light when Randall looked over and saw Reggie and Aaron standing on the sidewalk. Randall says that Aaron walked up. This is what Randall says. Okay, so I'm not saying this happened. I'm not saying it did happen. I'm not saying it didn't happen. Right. <laughs> Randall Kaysen says that Aaron walked up, stuck a gun through the window, and fired five shots. One of them hit Squirt in the head, and Justin got shot in the arm as well. Randall jumped out of the car, gun in hand, waving it all over. He's like, you killed my friend. But guess what? Aaron didn't hear it. Do you know why? Because Aaron took off running again. <laughs> Fucking fast feet, fast feet. Stay on shoes. I tied you real good this time. If you time. don't see me, I'm not there. Woo! <laughs> he ran to a nearby McDonald's where the Tahoe that he had been in was at was now parked at, and they all took off. To make things more chaotic, a random person in a car close by threw out a pack of blackjack firecrackers onto the ground. So people were screaming, ducking. Everybody was going fucking crazy. It was just like, you hear five shots, then you hear the 
the firecracker. I should like, be oh my right god! Now. But can you imagine the scene? Like, and Just being fuck, a drunk. And most of them are drunk, so like, what the fuck is going on, man? You know. You know. You know, like you do. And then they, you've got those asshole drinkers that are out there probably trying to fight everybody. Like, what the fuck? Oh, what the fuck happened? You know. Dude, guys. as soon as I hear fireworks that resemble gunshots, I will hit the fucking deck. <laughs> like, like, oh my god, I'm done having fun. Dude, I'm not getting fucking shot. <laughs> I'm not getting shot today. No, dude, no, fuck no. Like... Uh, not no way not I, no I have lived in some some busy ass cities and I I've just learned that if you hear gunshots hit the fucking duck. deck oh go, no don't duck go you down la- yeah lay on the fucking gra- du- stop drop and roll yeah run in a zigzag pattern <laughs> serpentine <laughs> Randall ended up driving Squirt to the hospital the inside of the car looked like something from a horror movie Squirt had been shot in the back of the head and there was brain matter everywhere they show the the pictures of it on one of the documentaries. Does it look like that scene out of Pulp Fiction? A little oh, bit. Oh, man, I shot Marvin in the face. A little bit? A little bit. A little bit. Witnesses at the scene say that it was a black male, 5'10", with cornrows. This matches Reggie's description, but when Randall was interviewed by the police at the hospital, he gave a different description, one that matched our boy, Aaron Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Squirt's mom got the call at four in the morning. One of Squirt's friends had called her to tell her that Squirt had been shot and that she needed to come to the hospital. She asked if he was dead, and the other person said, I don't know. How do you not know? Because I think it was like a friend of a friend that called. Oh, like a relay, phone mm-hmm. relay. And so they were like, he's at the hospital. Go, you need to get there right now. And he's been shot. And she's like, is he dead? And they're like, I don't know. Fuck. Well, when she got there, he she found out that he was still alive, but that he may never walk or talk again. He got a bone flap procedure done, amongst many others. They took apart the skull, so they took the part that had been removed. I think they removed part of his skull, so because his head was swelling. Right. We, ex- yeah, I know yeah. what procedure you're talking about. So what they did, they took a part of his skull, and they made room for the swelling in the brain so that it didn't do that. Like, fuck that up. And sewed it into his stomach where it needed to stay for the next nine months. Because it has to stay... Alive. Alive. We've got to keep it alive in your stomach. And suddenly we're in Australia. Yes. I don't know. We're traveling. <laughs> we're traveling it's like this Mrs. Frizzle's school bus today. <laughs> Come on, children, get in. <laughs> Take you up the... River with the salmon so you can be nutted on and watch the whole process. <laughs> Semen. Uh, when Squirt woke up from surgery, he was able to see his family and recognize them. He could speak. He was able to tell them that the shooter was light-skinned. And since he couldn't talk very well, he flipped his hand over back and forth to show, like, get it? Like, he flipped his hand over, light-skinned. Yeah, he was like, see how this side of my skin is dark? Because Squirt was black. Black, right. And he was like, He flips not, it over and he's black, like, not this, it's this. White. He's like, he, he's light-skinned. Detective Patty Nixon was called at about 2.30 in the morning and she had come to investigate. It was ruled as a homicide at the time. Once she, signed, once she had seen the crime scene, she decided that the shooters were not the sharpest tools in the She's shed. She's like, what the shit? Like, we're in the middle of goddamn traffic. <laughs> and you're just going to shoot and run? You're not very smart. There's cameras literally 
on every post, but whatever. She had been told that Randall was describing a six foot three or six foot four, two hundred and forty pound Hawaiian or Hispanic male. She had also been told that he was with Reggie Nelson and the Pouncy twins. She was familiar with all of them, but she didn't know who the you know, the man that they're describing. She wasn't familiar with that one. We are. We know. Mm-hmm. Pick me, I know. It's A H. I think we should call him Ah from now on. Just for short. Ah. Just kidding. Patty went to the hospital and took Randall into questioning. They also got a hold of Urban Meyer's assistant at 6.30 in the morning and told him that the Pouncey twins were wanted for questioning for a murder and then gave them the description of the other man they had. And that's when they were told that it was Aaron Hernandez. Remember, 6.30 in the morning while while we continue. At 7 a.m., they tried to get Urban Meyer again. They felt like they were being stalled. Hot? Huh? So at that time, they're like, you are buying time. I can tell. I can. I know your game. (laughs) At that time, they asked for a picture of Aaron to be sent over. While they were waiting, they decided to look into into Randall Kaysen just a little bit. They found out that he was a known gang gang member. Justin Glass was a wannabe gangbanger. And Squirt was the only guy in the car that was just like a normal dude that wasn't in trouble all the time. That didn't think he was in a gang. Just happens to be. Yeah. Randall was the only guy that said Aaron was the shooter. Everyone else described a five foot eight inch black man with cornrows, and Aaron was obviously not that. Not that at all. He was a six foot one with a buzz cut. Randall was shown a picture of Aaron along with about six other guys in a, in like a digital lineup type thing, and he identified Aaron as the shooter. So they called the assistant back. And we're like, hey, while you're getting those pouncy twins, we need Aaron Hernandez as well. Thank you. Please and thank you. Okay, thanks. Bye. After many phone calls, the assistant finally showed up at 10 a.m. with Aaron and the twins. The university had obviously made a call to their lawyer during that four and a half hours it took them to finally get them in there for questioning. They were obviously trying to get all of their stories together and whatnot before the players went in for questioning. Like, all right, here's the story. So here's what happened. Listen, let me tell you what you did. Yes. Awesome. Uh, all... Let's do this. Okay, that's what we're going I like with. where this is going. Wait, wait, what happened after this? I forgot. Okay. Do you remember? Write it on your hand. <laughs> <laughs> All three of the guys were put in separate interview rooms. Aaron was so incredibly, incredibly comfortable that he fell asleep. He had been out all night, just saying. Yeah, but one would... I would like to think that your nerves, seeing how you just shot a motherfucker, that like your nerves would have gotten the best of you. Not Aaron Hernandez. Suppose not. Patty Nixon was pretty annoyed to walk in and find him sleeping. He didn't even hear her walk in to question him. So she got kind of irritated and was like, no, fuck this guy. I'm going to leave him in here and went to go question one of the twins instead. She went to Marquise's room first. He said that he that they had gone to venue with Aaron around 1.30 a.m. Somebody stole a chain off his brother Mike's neck. He said the club was crowded, so he didn't see who it was. He said after the club had closed and they were outside a black male walked up to him and said he had his chain and was tugging on his shirt in a way that made him think that he had a gun marquise said that he wasn't sure if the guy had a gun or not there were lots of people around and it was crowded and so he really couldn't tell if he had a gun or not but the guy was like hinting that he had a gun 
Well, the man then said, I, these are, this is a quote, finger quotes. I rule these streets. Marquise said that he told Reggie and Reggie told him that there was nothing they could do about it. Marquise said that Reggie talked to him later and told the man that they didn't want any trouble. Well, when Mike Pouncey was questioned, he told basically the same story. Both of the twins said that after the club, they went with Marky Anderson. They went to Marky Anderson's house. After 20, 30 minutes, they went to Checker's restaurant. This would have been around 2.30 in the morning, and then they said that they went back to Marky's apartment. The only thing that was different in their story was that Marquise said that Aaron was with them the whole time, and Mike said Aaron left Checker's before them around 3 in the morning. You forgot to take your notes. Put it on your hand. Another detective was interviewing Reggie Nelson. He told the same story pretty much, but the detect but Detective Shrentrump told Patty, and they decided to read Reggie his Miranda rights and question him again just to cover their bases. He was very cooperative and he was released around noon. Well, uh, about twelve fifteen, they went to the room where Aaron was sleeping to question him. This time he wakes up, and um, so they come into the room and he like. Bink opens oh, his eyes. Hi. Oh, hi. Two hours and 15 minutes later. Fuck, whatever. I hope he enjoyed his snooze. Right. They immediately read him his Miranda rights, but all he said was, I'm not going to say anything. I want my lawyer present. I'm sorry. My lawyer told me to say that. And that was the end of his questioning. They're like, all right, well, we can't really do anything else now. Nope. Once you say that, like, if they read you, once you are read your rights, you're like, sorry, I need my lawyer. Yeah, and I think they just didn't want to fuck around with him. They're like, clearly, if he's going to come in here and go to sleep... He's not going to cooperate, so we're just going to start off with Miranda rights. Because the other guys, they didn't. And like Reggie, they questioned him first, then read him, and then re-questioned. So with him, they're like, you know what? Not fucking around. Well, other witnesses were interviewed, and they all said that it was a black man with cornrows. About 6 p.m., they picked up Randall Kaysen and questioned him again. He admitted at this time that he only assumed Aaron was the shooter. He also admitted that he didn't see anything at all because he was balled up in the car trying not to get shot. The following Monday, Detective Nixon called Aaron and warned him to be careful out on the streets. She also told him Kaysen was out there accusing him of being the shooter. Aaron thanked her and told her that he would be careful. Through the fall and the winter, the detectives attempted to interview Randall and Justin. No matter what they did, they couldn't catch up with them. So seven months after the shooting, Squirt went to the police station. He was wearing a blue helmet that he would have to wear for two more months to hold yeah. him in. Yeah. Do you like how I say it like a small child? Yeah, yeah don't just hold him in. God, that would that would be ridiculous so when squirt was in there they had an e-fit which is an electronic facial identify identification technique a computer program that they used to make a composite sketch of the shooter okay the digital sketch that squirt had him do looked nothing like aaron nothing i think it was the same black short black guy with Cornos. 5'8 is not short. Don't get offended, anyone. Okay, f- fine. Jesus. Shorter <laughs> than Aaron Hernandez. <laughs> Jesus, fuck. So at this point, there's dead ends everywhere. In the end, they couldn't arrest or exonerate anybody. Rumors of Aaron's involvement were always out there, and we'll talk more about it later because more came out over the years about this. Now let's go and talk about Aaron's relationship with Urban Meyer. Okay. That Okay, that shooting would have occurred his freshman year. Aaron was on special teams that season, and he didn't play much. So that was like, 
He was following the kick, the returner, blah, blah, blah. So his sophomore season was a little bit different, though. Urban said he played him more than he had ever played a player in the player playing place. Okay. Perfect. Aaron even started doing Bible study with Urban in the morning about once a week. They would read verses and discuss them and then pray. He was spending a lot of time with Urban and his family. Urban said he was asking for help and it was obvious. So by him saying, can I do this Bible study with you? That was Urban thinking that he's trying to, you know, he needs help. He wants help. He wants somebody to be around him. He wanted to experience real family life because his kind of fell apart when he was 16. Urban said he didn't see his tough side at first, but later in his career, he seemed to change. The Bible studies and the deep conversations just stopped. The first game of Aaron's sophomore season, Aaron was found on the sideline. He was in his number 81 jersey, but he was wearing a boot, like the kind that I'm in like once a year because I've done something stupid. But he wasn't in it from falling down the stairs or tripping over a baby gate like I usually am. He wasn't injured at all. Rumor was that players that had gotten into trouble wore it, usually for a failed drug test. Aaron was always smoking weed. Maybe it was a failed drug test. Maybe it was in trouble for something else that he has done. Maybe it was the shooting. Who knows? The Gators were always treated different than anybody else, and they got away with a lot more than others because they were in Gator country. The 2008 football season was a good one for the Gators. They only lost one game all season, and that was to Ole Miss, and they only lost by one point. On January 8th of 2009, they played the Oklahoma Sooners for the BCS National Championship in the Miami Dolphins Stadium. That game, Tim Tebow wrote the scripture, John 316, in his black eye. The scripture, remember how I was joking, Said I didn't know it. I mm-hmm. do. They, well, he used to write a different one, okay? I know. And now now he's changed it up. Um, and I know this because of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Well, yeah. Duh. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but he have eternal life. That day, the Bible verse was Googled 90 million times, trended to number one on Twitter and Facebook. Now, remember this verse, Philata Lata. And if you need me to, I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version of what it is, or you can Google it. That wasn't the only day that it had a big impact on Aaron's life. Now, the final score was 24 to 14. The Gators had won the championship. That season, Aaron had 34 receptions, 381 yards, five touchdowns. Eight days after the championship game, his mom married his cousin's ex-husband that she cheated on Aaron's dad with in Las Vegas. Guess who was not in attendance for that wedding? I wasn't, but I don't think Aaron was either. No, he was not. Probably not. No, he was not. He was not. No, he wasn't. In 2010, the Gators won the Sugar Bowl, and it seemed like Aaron would be that first-round draft pick in the NFL. He was now eligible for the draft, and you have to be out of high school for three years to be eligible. That's why he wasn't three. eligible before, but he's been out for three. Three. He knew that his drug use was known in the NFL, and so people had questions. Aaron signed with the sports agency called Athletes First. Not Athletes Foot. Maybe he should have signed with Addicts to Athletes. Maybe. The founder, Brian Murphy, oversaw his training for the NFL Combine. Aaron flew to California and lived there for two and a half months to train. The facility has tight end coaches, physical therapists, 
soft tissue specialist, and mental health specialist. While Aaron was there, they really got to know him, and they talked about everything in his life. While he was there, they told him that the NFL was a different ball game. He wasn't in Florida anymore. No more being late for meetings. Play by the rules. They said Aaron tried his hardest. The NFL Combine <clears throat> was in February of 2010. Tim Tebow, Marquise Pouncey, and seven other Gators were there with Aaron. Aaron had torn a muscle in his back, and so he didn't get to do all the drills and workouts. The Combine is a test of speed, strength, stamina, intelligence, and even flexibility. And I think the only flexibility some of these guys had was moral flexibility. Mm-hmm. He was missing out on a lot, and this had to do with his injury. However, the scouts were still fascinated by him, and he was still able to do all of the interviews. And they'd obviously all seen him play by, you know. Right. That shit's on TV. They've got video of the it. shit's on TV. And if you've never watched an NFL Combine, I mean, it's kind of boring to watch the whole thing, but go watch a little bit of it. Those motherfuckers can run pretty fast. They just do the little 400 and they're like, bam! I'm like, Jesus Christ! You're insane. Yeah. Pick! I pick you, I pick you, I pick you. The scouts have already seen him play. They knew he was amazing. They wanted to actually get to know him, though. He tried to charm them, but they saw right through that. Some of the notes about him uh, said things like low self-esteem. Others said, not well-adjusted emotionally, not happy, moods unpredictable, not stable, does not take much to set him off, and not an especially jumpy guy. The combine is like a week long. They figured all this out in that time. So his little facade he was putting on wasn't fucking working. Like, he thinks that, oh, well, if I'm in their faces, then I can act this way, and they're going to think that's what I am, but I'm not. And they figured it out. In the Netflix documentary, it said that he made fun of himself a lot, but he never made fun of other people. And in my opinion, this goes with the low self-esteem thing. Like, some people have low self-esteem, so they make fun of other people to try to bring them up. And I think he was the kind that was like, you know, I got made fun of, I don't like it, so I'm going to make fun of me. I make fun of myself. I say nastier shit to myself every day in the mirror than anybody could ever say to me. Because if I, it's kind of like if I pave the road ahead of time, nothing you say can hurt, can hurt me. me. Yeah, it's like a defense mechanism. It really is. The lower my self-esteem was, the more I made fun of myself. So it was like fat jokes all the time when I was really self-conscious about my weight. It was a constant fat joke. And, you know, it was like, I'm going to do it before you can. Yeah. So whatever you say can't hurt me. And that's how I feel like maybe he was. I don't know. That was just my two cents. That's my opinion. That's my opinion. They knew that he had failed a few drug tests. They also worried about who he hung out with. They noticed that he was a follower and a tag-along. Even just at the combine, they saw that. They knew that he had never actually got convicted of anything, but they knew that anytime there was trouble, Aaron Hernandez was involved. He was around, at least. He was such a good player, but such a liability. He was immature. An NFC personnel executive said that, quote, Urban did him right by having him follow Tim Tebow. And he was such a follower. He could go in any direction. Everyone knew that if you didn't keep an eye on him, he was an easy guy to persuade to do the wrong thing. Hmm. Hmm. So at this combine, Aaron scores 10 out of 10 for focus motivation and mental quickness nine out of ten for self-efficiency and receptiveness to coaching seven out of ten for dedication and one out of ten on social maturity 
He was oh, boy. A, yeah. He was also forced to admit his drug use at the Combine. They said that because of the number of failed drug tests that he had, he definitely had an addiction. Because they were like, okay, one or two, we get it. You, you're in college, you're smoking some weed. But he had so many that they're like, okay, at this point... You're like, um, listen, this is like... This, this is, is a behavior. Yeah, this isn't like mm-hmm. getting high on the weekend with the boys here and there. This is what you do every day. The red flags didn't stop at drug use. The executives also had major concerns about gang activity that they had heard he was involved in. They said that he was one of the most talented players in the draft, but his off-field activities were such a big concern that it kept coming up. It was also very apparent that Urban Meyer's strategy of saving him from everything and sweeping things under the rug only hurt him, and in my opinion, turned him into an even bigger monster. So, you know how fucking hard it is to get into the NFL and how what a small amount of people even get to the point where they get to be in a combine? And he has been given this... Stop fucking up! Yeah, but the people that are in his corner, like Urban Meyer are helping feed that. They're like, you know what? You you won't get in trouble. You can do what you want. You're a gator. You're a celebrity. You won't get in trouble. You're not going to get in trouble like these other people. So you keep playing football and doing what you do, and you're not going to get in trouble. And that hurt him really bad. That didn't help him at all. 75% of the players in the NFL smoke weed, but they can pass their drug test when it's time. There's also at least a dozen guys in every draft with gang ties. but Aaron. So Aaron's situation wasn't completely new to the NFL. It was, however, enough to knock him out of the first round draft spot. This is where we're going to leave you this week. Next week, we'll talk about what happens next. What the guy with amazing talent, talent like any other, did with his life. Until then, don't shoot people in the face. And uh, stay, stay out, out of chalk, chalk lines. lines. Goodbye. Goodbye.